Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Sing both parts. I do. Like you go, oh, 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 and then you sing it back to yourself. I sing it back to myself. Yeah. I, I, it was the chorus. Here we go. This is where okay. I woke up, guys. No, please don't wake me now. Don't wake me oh. now. All right. I'll play the part of Craig. <laughs> Go to sleep. What are you doing? What are you murmuring about? Crazy hour. Yo, but it's going to be the best day ever. We have such a big show. And I think this song came from my texting with Bo because we were planning today's show. And it's huge. And I was so excited. I, I, I texted him back last night, like, I already love our show. And it's not even tomorrow yet. That's right. And Willie I, P is on today. Yeah. <laughs> so true. And she's bringing Willie P like excitement, I think. To it. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly right. We might have to get Willie P to reenact one of his... Uh, calls today. He's about to uh, launch into that because Charlotte FC plays its first game of the season coming up. Do you against... think if I hug him? Sorry, I just interrupted you. They're playing who? New England. They, yay! <laughs> you think if I hugged him, he would get excited like that and and do the, the soccer scream? Oh. <laughs> Depends on how good the hug is. <laughs> <laughs> Only one way to find out. <laughs> Camera phone's ready and go. Yes. <laughs> Should not have asked that question. Well, Willie P is going to be in here at uh, 720 today. Matt Harris. We're, we're drawing from all sides here at uh, the great Colossus of the South and uh, Radio 1 Charlotte because Matt Harris from Mix 107.9, who's doing a, a lot of multitasking these days because yes. he's hosting this uh, this podcast called Impact of Influence with, uh, with Seton Tucker there about the Murdoch trial. So he's going to come down here at 650 a little later this hour, and uh, we'll steal a few minutes talking to him. I mean, yesterday was the first day, really, since all of this has started in Walterboro, where I, I, I went home and, and spent uh, like an hour plus watching the trial. And for, look, I think a lot of people are in this boat because yesterday was uh, the long-awaited, and, and, and we didn't know for a fact that it was going to happen, but it finally did, uh, that Alec Murdoch... Uh, even though his his own attorney advised him not to do it, uh, he took the stand yesterday. Yes, I was riveted, and I went home, immediately turned on the TV, and I had grand plans, and none of those things happened. I stuck with everything. I, I did everything that I was doing kind of in the vicinity of the television so I could continuously hear what he was saying. I was... I, I, I don't know. I, I You very rarely see people take the stand in their own defense. And the fact that he is a trained attorney and all of the things that uh, 
have happened in the last several years in his life. I well, just was blown away. And we had Bill Graham in here yesterday for his regular segment, and he was talking about what to watch for with a lawyer, with an attorney, taking yeah. the stand in his own defense. And some of what he said to us, uh, you know, really was good perspective about watching that happen. Yeah. Now, uh, as soon as I say that about Bill Graham, he and I are texting about this last night. Bill Graham says, uh, well, if you want me to come in studio one day and take questions from listeners about this, because no doubt there are tons after yesterday. A lot of people watched this more extensively than they had up until now. But if you want to do that, and I said, well, uh, what are you talking about? And uh, long story short, 8 to 9 a.m. today in studio, uh, the one and only Bill Graham is going to be here, and he's going to take your phone calls, and he's going to answer any questions that you and I have. And that's a precursor to the 9 o'clock hour where we have Charlotte's most beloved in here. So uh, it's going to be a busy show in the it's best kind of way. It's going to be the best day of our lives. Oh, wait, hang on. Let me get it back up there for you. Uh, here we go. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Are y'all tired of me singing? In when the Beth gets to the end of the show, she goes, darn, show's over. Now what do I do? Yeah, then what, then what do I do? <laughs> I have to go home and This is one of those songs. <laughs> this is one of those songs that if you said, uh, okay, and now it's Mix 107.9, but Zoke and I have been in this building for a long time, and John Moore, I mean, it's been 107.9, the link before that. Like, if you said, what's a definitive song that makes you think of that station, this is one of those songs. Oh, yeah? Mm. And Matt Harris is coming in today. That's so right. Maybe you could get him hooked on this song today. Everything's full circle, guys. No likes. I don't always wake up with a song in my head. You know what the song was in my head today? What? It's Bo's fault. Guess about what it was all week. Was it um, Jason Alvin? Yes. Oh. My kind of party. <laughs> oh. It's like all brushing my teeth all this morning. It's like going, and you know, like you don't really pay attention. You're just like, is it back here? It's like, son of a gun. <laughs> it's See, my kind of party. I really believe that if you paid close attention, you would you would realize that you're waking up with a song every day. You just have to tune in. Uh-huh. Take the tinfoil head off. Let it, let it in. Tune into <laughs> your brain, Jim Zoki. Tune in first thing, and you'll be singing and dancing, too. It could happen. It could happen to you at home. Yeah. I, cl- I cleared all that from the deck because we finished the contest, but now I got here. This is what was in my head when I woke up this morning. I was wow. brushing my teeth. <gasps> I felt like I needed to call a radio station at that moment. Do you guys have any free tickets? <laughs> Love Brad Paisley. Do you know what's great about yours? <laughs> is, is that we, Eric Church? We could program your brain. I kind of like this. We could start Yeah, mine is programmable. Yours is like... Well, you can't penetrate Beth. She's going to, whatever song she's going to have, she's going to have. Mine actually is, too, because it's funny you say this, because I, I was walking around this morning. It was actually it wasn't this morning, if I'm being truthful. It was yesterday afternoon, but it was in my head all day, and the same thing. I, I was singing this one all day yesterday because of, well, we know why. Because I put that in your head. Yeah. It felt like springtime. Oh, sorry, wrong song. <laughs> No, this is your, this is your, the, the guy you thought was Jason Derulo. Yeah, it's Jason oh, Mraz. Jason Mraz. Pork yeah. pie hat. With his pot pie hat. <laughs> and John Moore had the Cars for Kids song in his head when he woke up. Oh, yeah, it's always in there. Don't worry anyway. your life away, everybody. Today's going to be the best day of our lives. It's my kind of party. <laughs> It's like we're all walking around with headphones just listening to our little songs in our heads. We all know what, what John John really hears in his head all day. It's this right here. <laughs> <laughs> I love <right>. Benny Hinn. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the Fat Boys. Was he ever on the Andy Griffin show? Each and every moment, searching what to believe, 
Aaron Rodgers, right? I cannot even. I right thought now. of this. I, I thought of this as soon as I, I heard the uh, Groundhog stories yesterday. How does uh, he do it? You know how? How did did he see his shadow? <laughs> you know what happens in Green Bay? Uh, quite frankly, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's weird because Aaron Rodgers is one of the great players of our our time. generation. I mean, this is yeah. just, you know I'll say like all time, but of this time. And he's so talented. He seemed like such a cool dude till a couple of years ago. I feel like he's slowly losing his mind. <laughs> he's gotten so zen with all this stuff. And what Bo's referring to is the four days of darkness have ended where he's been in isolation, <laughs> contemplating life. It's like you throw a football, get paid lots of money. What's so hard about it? At a it? place called Sky Cave. <laughs> so, I didn't know so the name. So to that Sky point, Cave. let me, because uh, we, we've talked about the fact that this was going to happen, and then he's been in hibernation. And uh, yesterday, is that what it is? Is it? Is I don't it, know. Do well, you have, I mean, do you did he have nuts and berries in there? Maybe. And how do you know what you're eating? Maybe that's a good, excellent you can't point. See or it. can you eat? Maybe maybe it's uh, bugs. Maybe people are listening to us right now and thinking this is uh, the, uh, more people do this than you think. Uh, now he's the high-profile quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, like Zucky was talking about. But this idea of going—I mean, this Adam Schefter of ESPN yesterday tweets: "The room in which Aaron Rodgers spent his time is a partially underground Hobbit-like structure <laughs> with 300 square feet of space, devoid of light, with a queen bed, like Beth said. How do you know? Uh, a bathroom and a meditation-like mat on the floor." It's only 300 square feet. That's what it says. Oh my. With a queen bed in there? It means you have like three feet to walk. What if it's dark in there? How do you find the meditation mat, A, and B, how do you find the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Well, the toilet paper once you're in there. Well, here's the thing. There's only point. three options, so if you don't find the bathroom, it's either going to be the meditation mat or the, <laughs> or the queen-size bed. <laughs> I guess I'll be sleeping on the meditation mat tonight. Is that water? <laughs> What's so wet? What? Hey, guys, I need to just take a quick break in here. <laughs> Now, now listen to this. The retreat has three dark rooms. The estate, or you know, this complex. The retreat has three dark rooms and is booked for the next eighteen months. So obviously, Whoa. he ain't the only one. There are people who are on the waiting list to get into this. Seven more rooms are planned to help accommodate accommodate the demand. So again, I, 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 I here's how Brady's got it through the month <laughs> yeah, of June. I mean, like <laughs> Brock Purdy's in the next room. <laughs> Well, listen to this. I, 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 I was so fascinated by this. The Sky Cave website traces the roots of darkness retreats. Well, I don't know why I always start using this voice. You're talking to your AI voice. <laughs> to various ancient practices and rituals, some medical benefits are possible, yet it states that those benefits are not scientifically proven. When discussing <laughs> origins of the retreats, Berman acknowledges that different cultures uh, who have these practices related to darkness, such as the ancient Greeks and Egyptians and the Kogis and indigenous people all find um, darkness within their mothers. The within their mother? <laughs> yeah. I, it's supposed to recreate the womb is what it says. Oh, I didn't like. know what was happening there. <laughs> yeah, so they, it's they find their mother. Re- <laughs> <laughs> is that what you said? <laughs> Sometimes I just invent phrases. <laughs> he's going to come out and he's going to read that last part again. He's, I was um, laughing. It explains a select certain children at birth to live in darkness with their mothers, within their mothers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading. I'm just reading. So it right weird. Now. Is he going to come out and is he going to be a butterfly when this is all right, over? Right, right. <laughs> he goes into his cocoon. He comes out and he's a big, beautiful butterfly. 
I mean, yeah. seriously. Did y'all see a bug flap? 704-570-1110. Have you ever done this? Would you do it? Do you think it's nuts? Or do you think this is a great way to find yourself and see if you really do want to play another season? I get sad without sunshine. Like, if it's I just, like, cloudy too. for a couple of days or rainy. <laughs> I need vitamin D sunshine. I need to be able to see where I'm tinkling, and I need to be able to see what I'm eating. Like, those Beth, are you're two, oversharing again. Those uh-huh. two big, <laughs> uh-huh. big things. But he says that discomfort is the door. Discomfort is the door? The door to, I guess, open to the rest of your life. Like, make yourself. I agree with making Returning yourself your uncomfortable. Yeah. I, like to, I like to plow through my fears and do things that are uncomfortable. But I don't know that you necessarily need to sit in the dark for four days. But I don't know. He, can't, he says he's closer to himself now and to where he needs to be in his life. I'm afraid he's feeding the dragon. He's what? poking his own bulldog. Basically, <laughs> I don't know what that. Don't, like, don't poke the bear. I think oh, he's poking okay. the bear. His own. Okay. He's poking his own. Poking bear. a bulldog. There? Yeah. Sorry, that's not good. Is either. that a phrase? Yeah, I just made it. Poking <laughs> a bulldog. Pit, pit bull, maybe. Yeah. But as I'm as I'm thinking about this, I mean, and you're here in the chat. I mean, Green Bay is sounding like Jordan Love is looking better and better every day. Well, I th- for I, any team out there, I'm starting to wonder. Like, if this is a lot of money to get Aaron Rodgers, and you're going to put your team in this guy. Is he just like at halftime going to walk off the field? And just go, eh, I gotta go to my darkness cave, guys. I'm just not feeling it today. <laughs> right. And, and acupuncture. Listen, yeah. And listen to this. The room that he was in is fully powered, so at any point the lights can be turned on from inside the room. And as soon as I heard this part, I was thinking about the natural. You know when you have the judge up there and they go, Hobbs! Hobbs, don't draw the blind. Yes. Turn that light off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Somebody walks in and like turns it on like, hey, gotcha. He's like, <laughs> Turn it off. Turn it off. I was in the middle of finding myself. <laughs> That's like our old PD's office. It's <laughs> <laughs> 25 watt bulb. Oh, thanks, then, thanks, man. So here, here's the thing, though. The point was he was supposed to go. His He says that everybody nowadays, if we get to a point where we feel uncomfortable or stressed or something in our lives, we do things like pick up our phones or we start a conversation or we get on social media or we busy ourselves. And that if you're in the complete darkness, you can't allow yourself to do any of those things. So you have to live in the discomfort. I don't get it. All day? I mean, all day. For four days. For four days. I four mean, solid like Bo's got little cabins all around town, so you can you can go and isolate and <laughs> turn wait, off your wait, phone. Hang on. You should start charging people for wait this. Wait a minute. Bo. If you're gonna yeah. say it, Zoke, say it right. I have cute little cabins. Cute, little, cute cabins little cabins yeah. that boys can go to. But you can like, go to, like <laughs> no. <laughs> you're oversharing again, Beth. <laughs> Overweight children. But you know, I could do like like a retreat by myself. I'm just like in nature with a cabin. That my phone's off. There's no TV. Yeah. Why do I just sit in complete utter darkness yeah. for four days thinking about my mom? I mean, it's just like it just thinking about your mom's, womb, your mom's womb. My mom's womb, <laughs> which you know I barely recollect. I was so young then. <laughs> I don't really remember that darkness. I don't remember that day. I don't remember it. That's you such sure? a big day. You think you'd remember that day? You, the day you're born. Right. It's so scary. Talk about we, coming out of see, the dark. See how weird we're getting just talking about it? I mean, it just seems four, well, four, how do, why is it four days? Why is it not two days or nine days? Like four days. I have an idea. I think we should book this place, and I think we should do the show from it for four days yeah. and see what happens. See we would what, totally prank each other. What we find. Beth, what are you doing in there? <laughs> I can't find the bathroom, guys. <laughs> or we can just turn off the lights now. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll be in a dark room. That's true. because Well, we've got that street light out there. It's going to totally mess up the whole thing. Yeah, you're exactly right. I can't imagine Beth not speaking for four days. Me neither. Oh, you can't talk? Well, you're by yourself. Well, we, I, mean, I guess you could mutter to yourself, but the point is to be in silence within your thoughts of the womb. Now, who here, think, <laughs> who here, who here thinks that Beth, if she's by herself, is still 
It's going to be silent. You'd be, talking up, you'd be talking She's up a storm to yourself. Already. I would be. Can you imagine what the stereo would be like if I were four days in a dark room? I mean, my stereo brain would go absolutely nuts. <laughs> it would just be constant songs because I would be able to try. Hello, probably. darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> or Gloria Estefan. <laughs> this is what it could be. Yeah. I'd pretend that I was wearing like a choir robe and I'd clap and dance on my meditation mat. <laughs> That's Beth. She saw her shadow, which means six more weeks of kickboxing classes. Or something. I don't know what that even means. I like that. That yeah. works for me. What about those food? Like, what are the snacks? Exactly. Huh? What are the food options? And you can't see the snacks. I need to see my food. <laughs> this is Charlotte's Morning News with Al Gardner. <laughs> Good morning. WBT, where business talks. Presented by Ram Pavement. All right, we're going to move uh, things up in the schedule just a tad here because Matt Harris from the Matt and Ramona show over on our sister station, Mix 107.9, but uh, for the purposes of today, uh, he hosts, uh, of course, the Impact of Influence podcast on the Murdoch uh, murders trial. He's going to join us coming up at 6.50. Uh, of course, yesterday, Alec Murdoch finally took the stand, and we'll get his thoughts on what he saw. But in the meantime, we're going to move up our business report. So uh, here's what happened at the market close on your Thursday. A choppy trading session with stocks ending higher after a midday sell-off as investors digested data on the state of the economy and labor market. And NVIDIA, a big winner on Wall Street with its stocks surging after the chipmaker topped earnings and revenue expectations in its most recent quarter. Many Wall Street analysts are high on the company, saying AI opportunities will drive growth for the chipmaker. And shares of Netflix losing ground after a Wall Street Journal report said that the streaming service has reduced the cost of its service in more than three dozen countries. The Dow winners, Boeing, Microsoft, and Home Depot. The Dow decliners, Walmart, McDonald's, and Travelers. The Dow rising 109 points. The Nasdaq up 83. S&P 500 up 21. Hillary Barsky, Fox News. Free markets in the red this morning. Dow futures down 141. S&P futures down 22. And NASDAQ futures down 106. Hey, milk and does a body. Milk and does a body good. Pop it up. It's fun to grow on. Great before I drop some gold and stuff. It's all of what you're thirsty for. Ow. It is. Makes you feel good because it tastes so great. It really does. Body good. Pass it on. Milk it does. Pass it on. Pass it on. I forgot how creepy those commercials were. I was going to say, that sounds like a bad dream. You're like, how's that go? Build your bone so you can grow. Do y'all remember that one? I had like a robot. And then there was the whole series of where the it's got the little kid. Uh, the scrawny little kid, and he's like, "But I'm drinking milk." And in these days, I'm. And then at the end, he's like a big muscle-bound dude. Yes, yeah. yes, milk. I love milk. It's like it's seriously. I think it's why I've never had a cavity. That or Dr. Teresa Mercado. Um, but there is a. <laughs> there's a <laughs> Just launch into a commercial. There's a milk story that I wanted to share with you guys. It I, came from one of my favorite resources. Wait a minute. Is milk a cavity fighter? I don't know. But I think calcium. with the calcium in it, it yeah. makes your teeth strong. Like, I've always heard that it makes your teeth strong, but I didn't know that it was like a... Well, it keeps the sugar from eating through them, or the cavities like... from eating through them, because <laughs> your teeth mm. are strong from the calcium. That's what I believe. I was going to say it didn't work for me. I got defective milk, apparently. Well, I thought <laughs> milk was, <clears throat> was uh, proved to be a lie that it was not healthy for you. <laughs> Didn't they come out and say like the body, does, the body milk. doesn't need milk? Milk stands it, on a throne it, of lies. It's like dairy is milk is like a, not good for your body. 
I don't um, even know what you were talking about with milk. I, well, I thought I heard it was like not healthy for well, you. Like, are... Beth, Beth is trying to bring us a story, and all the rest I... of us are trying to discredit milk. <laughs> we're all taking our stances on milk. I, it does the body good. No, it doesn't. I was trying to give it props for my healthy teeth, and you're like, nope. <laughs> this isn't true, I'm, Beth. I'm sorry, Beth. You go on about your business I don't even there. know what your story is. I should let you read it. Well, one of my favorite articles, that, or one of my favorite sites, is called The Daily Meal instead of The Daily Mail. Mm. Isn't that great? It's always like fun food stories. Um, this one, though, the title, FDA officially approves of milk label for plant-based alternatives. I just want to read the first part of this. It looks like the beef, ha ha ha, between the dairy industry and the plant-based industry is coming to a close. In recent years, the dairy industry and plant-based industry have been brawling over the labeling of certain plant-based products as more plant-based types of milk are popping up in grocery stores. The dairy industry, or big dairy as some people call it, has been demanding that the federal government limit the use of the term milk. That's John Moore's nickname. <laughs> it's big dairy. It's only big dairy if you don't like it. Yeah, big dairy. Big dairy. It's like big oil. I'm, I'm lactose big tobacco. I'm lactose big intolerant. John Stud. <laughs> big dairy. <laughs> well, big dairy actually lost, guys, because the FDA said that all of these plant-based milk alternatives can still use the term milk. On their labels. So oat milk, almond milk, soy milk, all of those milks that aren't really cow milk, they can be called milk still. Y'all aren't excited. Y'all don't care. No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I, I remember yeah. I'm riveted. Uh, you, you've, I still you've, think there's a crux with, like, is it good or not good for you? I think, to me, I, I thought I heard the dairy and milk are not good for your heart. And your... Well, there are some who can't tolerate the lactose mm-hmm. um, in milk and have trouble digesting it. But some people, it's really great. And it's it's a great source of protein, um, great source of calcium. It's, pass it on. Pass it on. It gives me a rumbly in my tumbling. <laughs> it does that for a lot of people. Big dairy. Yeah. Um, I drink all of the milks. I will except soy milk, but I will drink the fake ones, the the, the plant based milks, and the milk milks. So I I like to be a. So you all, got me on the oat milk kick. I like to be an all milk supporter. I have oat milk in my oat coffee right good. here. Yep. yep. But is it steel cut oats? Mm. No, but I did make some overnight oats with steel cut oats and oat milk. Mm-hmm. And then there's me who dreams about drinking chocolate milk at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> That's another show. How about that one? Ten before seven o'clock here on WBT. It's Bo and Beth on a Friday morning, and uh, our buddy Matt Harris, who of course hosts the Matt Ramona Show over on Mix 107.9, is going to join us. But he also is uh, the co-host of Impact of Influence, uh, a podcast that has uh, become a nationwide uh, has a nationwide following now because he and his partner uh, Seton Tucker started chronicling this. Uh, a couple of years ago, and now he's on Court TV, and he's on, uh, I mean, he's all over the place. Nancy Grace, you name it. Yeah, he he was really fascinated by this case uh, before so many other people jumped on uh, the, the well, the, it's not a really a bandwagon because it is a fascinating case, but he saw what this case was going to become before a lot of people saw it. And what did it become yesterday? Well, uh, I'll let you be the judge of that. Yesterday was the day that some thought would come and some did not believe would ever happen, but it did. Alec Murdoch uh, took the stand in his own defense. And uh, I want to get a recap of things before we talk to Matt Harris. Here's Fox's Jonathan Sari. Did you shoot a 300 blackout into her head, causing her death? 
Mr. Griffin, I didn't shoot my wife or my son anytime. In front of the jury, disbarred attorney Alec Murdaugh repeatedly denied the double murder allegations against him, but admitted he lied when he told investigators he was taking a nap while his wife and son were at the family kennels. The lie exposed by multiple trial witnesses, close family friends who identified the defendant's voice in the background of video his son Paul took at the kennels just minutes before he and his mother Maggie were fatally shot. Why did you lie to Agent Owen, Agent Croft, and Deputy Rutland about the last time you saw Maggie and Paul? As my addiction evolved over time, I would get in these situations or circumstances where I would get paranoid thinking. Murdaugh admitted he stole money from clients to fund his opioid dependency. How long have you been drug-free? 535 days. But he refuted the prosecution's theory that he committed the 2021 murders to create a distraction as his law firm began to question his workplace finances. On June the 7th, did you believe that your financial house of cards was about to crumble? On June the 7th? Yes, sir. Absolutely not. The defendant became emotional on the stand as he described his wife and son when they were alive and the moment he found their bodies when he returned to the kennels. My boy's laying face down. <laughs> he's done the way he's done. His head was the way his head was. I could see his, could see his brain laying on the sidewalk. I didn't know what to do. During cross-examination, the prosecution tried to suggest Murdaugh took advantage of his prominent position in the community. On the night his son, Paul, allegedly caused a fatal boat wreck, Murdaugh was seen wearing a badge he'd obtained during a previous volunteer position with the local prosecutor's office. A badge has a warming effect with other law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And so if I was seeking any advantage, as you say, then I guess that would be what it was. The prosecution hammered Murdaugh over his alleged financial misdeeds until the judge uh, announced that court would adjourn for the evening and cross-examination will resume at 9.30. So that's set to happen in Walterboro today. And in studio with us is Matt Harris. And uh, thanks for dropping by, multitasking here. Yeah, no problem. Uh, just out of the gate, what were yeah. your thoughts? Uh, did you ever think we'd we'd hear from him like we did yesterday? Uh, about a week ago, I thought everything I heard from everybody down there was he was going to testify. I think they had to do it. I'm not sure how it played out for them, but he's the only one that could explain the biggest issue, the biggest hurdle that he has to get over to get acquitted is why he lied about being at the kennels at 844 and change over and over again, told people over and over again, dug his heels in even with evidence that he was there. He's the only one that can explain that lie. And that is that is the major, major hurdle, I think. Do you think that he, I mean, they asked him the question, of course, point blank about that lie. I mean, he basically was just like, eh, you know, I was addicted to opioids and then just kind of blew past it. Do you think him using that as the excuse yeah. was enough of an explanation? I, I have a problem there. Because one of the things I think was a strategical error, maybe a mistake or whatever, what he talked about, uh, he's being paranoid. Yeah. That's a bad word to use because he said people would look at me and I get paranoid. Well, then there could be a jurors on the bubble and says, well, were you paranoid that Paul or Maggie was going to do something? Uh, a better answer 
because let's face it, he's worked through this, right? He's workshopped this with his lawyers. It's not yeah. like he just got up there. Would have been to say something along the lines of, listen, if I had told you that I was at the kennels, you would have zeroed in on me. And, and once I told the first lie, I had to stick to it, or you definitely would have zeroed in on me. I didn't trust law enforcement because how this is, I'm, I'm not saying this is true, to say what he would say, that law enforcement had been after us since the boat crash. And so I didn't want to give you any more reason to lean on into me. But using paranoid was a problem, I think. Well, even his his connection to law enforcement would have been tough because as the cross-examination started, Waters was really hammering in on the fact that he liked to flash that badge mm-hmm. and that he had police lights in his car for no yeah. real reason and that he had all of these relationships with these different people who were part of the mm-hmm. investigation. So even even that kind of discredited his paranoia right. excuse. Except if he would have, or on redirect, the problems with law enforcement didn't happen until after that boat crash. So the lights, mm-hmm. the boat crash in the hospital showing his badge, that was all post-crash. And or, he can say, pre-crash, yeah. Because yeah. we've already heard about how Maggie didn't even want to stay in Hampton anymore. People were threatening Paul, so he could have spun it as... Until that point, I was I was cool. I, I think Waters went a little bit too hard on asking the same question over and over and over again. It was very frustrating. I think Seton, who's my partner, Impact of Influence, she's in this in the uh, room, and she says the jury was definitely starting to lose patience and get really either zoning out or just like, okay, we get it. You've asked the same question a thousand times to him. Um, they still have to prove. That he would blow his uh, the brains out of his kid and his wife. Being a bad guy, being a thief, he admitted to all of it. They kept pounding, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a liar. We know that, right? We all know that. you got to tie it into why would you shoot these people who everybody says you guys were tight and loved. Uh, they've got to find that. They don't. Technically, they don't have to have motive, but helps well so i we got to get you back to your yeah. other show but last thing i'll ask you is uh, he's not done uh no. he, he'll be back on the stand at 9 30 this morning yep. what are we expecting well i i the uh i think the, the prosecution was running out the clock yesterday they yeah. wanted to get to the they wanted to end with some good questions and not let redirect put a thing in the uh in their head for their 24 head. hours or and yet, now so. waters has another night to think about what he's gonna i think they're gonna they're gonna, they're gonna keep pounding him on why would we believe you now mm-hmm. when you've lied all these times? Yeah. That's going to go down that. They're going to do more financial. And then on redirect, they're going to pound down on that he wasn't up against the clock. He wasn't about to be revealed as a crook, at least not at that point. That's, I think, how it's going to go. Matt Harris, Impact of Influence. Seton Tucker is his partner there. They've been doing this podcast for how, what, two years now? Uh, June 2021, June 7th were the murders. I think we started on the 11th or something. Yeah, so, wow. uh, so, so yeah. you really did jump as, on it. It's yeah. longer than really anybody else in the country, and that's why uh, is one of the reasons why the podcast has such a following and the breakdown. You can get much more of what you just heard there, and uh, we'll all be watching today, and uh, we'll, we'll probably be talking to you again uh, on Monday. And 2 o'clock, uh, Pete Callender, I always do the, the Murdoch update and Court TV every night at 8. Look there at you, you busy you, boy. Multitask. Yeah. All right. Thank you, uh, Bel- Thank you everybody. I said, thanks, oh, Matt. Sorry, Beth. Tell, tell Ramona we said hello. See ya. I told Ramona, Ramona's going to come on at 7.05 and break it down. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, certainly there's nothing wrong with a little feast on our time. You're absolutely right, Mr. Spicoli. It is our time. Yours, mine, and everyone else's in this room. But it is my class. Hamilton, Brandt, Kornfeld, up front. Mr. Spicoli has been kind enough to bring us a snack. Be my guest. Help yourselves. Get a good one. So that was a pizza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What we're about to talk about is not a pizza, but it's a big snack. Oh, it's more than a snack, though. Because, you know, if you're watching Fast Times, you know that Spicoli had an entire pizza delivered to the class. Yes. So that was a big snack. <laughs> that was a big snack. Why are you looking at me like this, Jim Zoki? It's when girls they say things. <laughs> no. Did you no, hear no. that? That was my skull. Wait, wait. It's when Beth says things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, she makes everything sound awkward. It's more than just a snack, Bo. <laughs> oh, I didn't even hear it that way the first time, and now I can't unhear it. I didn't hear it that way in my head either. Bernie and John and me did. <laughs> Am I speaking for the room? Like, yes. I, it wasn't just me. So well, Let me so, blow past that. What about that snack, Beth? <laughs> All right. This is a... I'm going to move along. Uh, the Washington Post had an article, and I have to get your thoughts on this, especially you, Jim Zoki. Here's the title of the article. A man ate a rack of ribs on a flight. <laughs> no. Is he a hero or a villain? Every day, tiny crimes against humanity are committed on airplanes. There's the in-flight nail clipping. Disgusting. That's my own addition. The stranger's bare feet on your armrest and the whatever's going on on Ryan Air flights. And then there are things that people bring on planes to eat. It's a touchy subject for a lot of people because one person's delicacy can be another's nightmare fuel. On a recent air flight coming from Glasgow... A man brought an entire rack of ribs, French fries, and an ear of corn slathered in mayonnaise uh-uh. and cheese. Oh. And was in the middle seat. Oh. Set, sits down beside a woman. Her name was Lana Tolland. She immediately took a little sneaky picture and tweeted out a tweet that said, No chance is the guy next to me eating a full rack of ribs plus sides on this plane. No, that's not cool. No. Did you, you say bare feet on your armrest? Yeah, that's have you never thing? had that happen? I, the, I don't like I don't think people should ever take their shoes off, first of all, even like under the Oh, mm-hmm. the people who prop their feet up on your armrest? Barefoot? Yeah. Well, you're talking like you've experienced this. Oh I have. Really? Oh I have. Did you say something? No, because I'm so nice. Like I will sit uh, the, the 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 flight that I was just on coming from Los Angeles, I I, I paid an up, upgrade fee to have a seat with more leg room. But then the guy next to me was like six foot eight and lopped over into my seat. And I sat there in half a seat that was already the size of a six inch ruler. And I was smushed over there. And I but I couldn't I mean, I can't. But make, he can't help. Being exactly. Six, so I, you can help putting your bare feet on. 
Mm-hmm. I don't say armless. things. I just, you know, I just. I've never heard of that. That's egregious. I sit there That's and stew. I stew in my own anger. But food is a weird thing on a plane. Yeah. So is painting your nails, by the way, because the smells of food, the smells of things like acetone and nail polish, they permeate the entire airplane. So if you are eating a rack of ribs and fries and corn smothered <laughs> in mayonnaise and cheese, like what is the A, smell that's going throughout the airplane, but B, he's in the middle seat. How much barbecue sauce, mm. sauce and slop and stuff is mm-hmm. like getting well, everywhere? I'm yeah. looking at the picture of it, and this is the kind of, uh, I mean, look, just about every uh, version of ribs that you would eat. You need, like, not a napkin. You need a whole wet roll, wipes. roll of uh, of of. Brawny. Yeah. Well, you need like you need wet wipes. Brawny's not even going to be enough because it gets all in your nail beds and right. stuff. I mean, you th- get on the passengers next to you if you're in the middle seat. Um, and I bet you this guy also pulled out his phone and talked at room level. You know, you know the full voice. I mean, full voice. Yeah, I think we should uh, put that back in the closet. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the other thing that goes right along line with, in, in my opinion, with somebody who would do this because this this violates every bit of personal space issue that I have. Well, and is it rude? Some people thought this guy's amazing. He just doesn't care. He wanted his ribs, didn't have time to eat them at the airport, so he brought them onto the plane. <laughs> Everything you said is right except the amazing part. <laughs> He's not amazing. No. <laughs> but then other people were saying, holy moly, this guy is rude. Uh, one person tweeted, I don't even like using my laptop on a plane if I'm in the middle seat. This guy's eating a whole rack of ribs. Um, the, and the other person said, dude, the amount of chewing and lip smacking mm-hmm. yep. I would have to endure to make me, it would make me open the emergency door. That would be Bo Thompson's response, like having to hear the person chew. I get uncomfortable on a plane if I, now a lot of times it's me feeling like I'm encroaching on the people around me uh, versus the, the reverse of that. Yeah. Now, I've, I've never had a situation where a guy pulled out, a, you know. Uh, an adult Happy Meal next to me, but <laughs> I can tell you there have been times on a flight where I was felt like I was crinkling the package too much, you know, yeah. with my chips because somebody next to me was was you know trying to read or, well, or and your elbow just trying to open the pack of chips. What are your elbows doing if you're eating a rack of ribs? Where are your elbows? Mm-hmm. You'll be also if you're sitting there and like have like fajitas delivered to your seat, <laughs> with a, a hot pan, DoorDash. <laughs> Does DoorDash work in the air? Right. Just put the onions and peppers on best. Uh, tap. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets a little expensive trying to buy the seats around you on a plane. Movie theater, yes. Plane, no. No, and, th- and you get this guy mm-hmm. next to you. But, rib but guy. But you guys make fun of me. That's the whole Who was the player the that mentality. bought the whole plane? Remember that? I want to say it was Jamarcus Russell. Was it? Remember there's an NBA or NFL player bought the whole plane? It was a commercial flight for himself, as opposed to just having a charter flight. He bought all the seats on the plane. Like it's like ten years ago, <laughs> just so that he didn't have to listen yeah. to anybody yeah. chew. Everybody's like, "What would you do if you made a million dollars?" And people talk about, "I'd buy the, I'd buy out this." <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy the whole row next time on American <laughs> Airlines. <laughs> right. All right, Willie P, the voice of Charlotte FC, is coming up because, uh, well, Charlotte FC is about to debut their second season at uh, Bank of America Stadium coming up on Saturday night. We'll talk to Will Pelagic moments ahead. And then don't forget, don't forget, next hour in studio for the whole hour, Bill Graham, our legal analyst, talking Murdoch and everything else you might want to know. It was Vince Young, another quarterback. Bernie Ah, did the research. That did happen. I didn't dream it. It was uh, Vince Young. Thank you, Jeeves. WPT. 65th minute, 1-0 Atlanta. Charlotte trying to equalize. Bender approaches on the left side corner. Into the area. Headed in. Adam Arger is the 
So the band is getting back together. And I know when you say that about a pro team, it's not always the same band, but it's the same franchise for the sophomore season, which gets underway at Bank of America Stadium against the New England Revolution coming up 7.30 on Saturday night. I uh, was, saw the uh, official Twitter feed of the uh, voice of Charlotte FC. Will Pelagic says that uh, Charlotte FC is saying they've surpassed 60,000 tickets now for Saturday's opener. Wow. So we wanted to bring on uh, the voice, Willie P., who uh, we, we love here in the building and uh, love hearing him on the call. What's going on, Willie P.? Bo, Beth, guys, it's uh, it's great to be back uh, talking soccer again with you, and uh, I'm so happy that uh, the offseason's finally concluded. Well, we got uh, Beth and uh, Jim Zoki in here, and and, and look, uh, we, we always feed off your enthusiasm for, for this team, and this city certainly has uh, followed through with that. I mean, I, I don't know. If we could take you back to, you know, the beginning of last season and, and what you thought would happen versus what did with uh, the way the team played and, and how the season went and especially how the city responded. Um, I know you had high hopes, but I don't think anybody quite knew uh, how this was going to kind of catch fire in this city. Well, there's a lot of thoughts, Bo. Uh, first of all, I think there was a lot of just, you know, we're happy to be here, we're happy to have a team, and then, you know, unfortunately a, a bit of a rude awakening on the opening night with a 3-0 loss, and then uh, the great, great atmosphere we had on that first night at home. Unfortunately, it was a 1-0 loss to the LA Galaxy on a, a worldly goal in the 77th minute, but uh, to me, the thing that I come away with in the first season is that I was thoroughly impressed with everything that the fans brought into the atmosphere at Bank of America Stadium. Uh, it was a constant thing throughout the season. There were games where they had uh, upper deck crowds of 55,000 or more. They had a great crowd for the game against Chelsea, uh, great crowds down the stretch of the season. And I think the one thing when it comes to the product on the field the team learned to play together once Christian Latanzio took over the middle part of the season. Uh, he had to kind of do a makeshift job to deal with what he worked with. And now looking at the season going into year number two, they feel much more prepared to, to handle the rigors of a long MLS season. It's going to be a little bit of a different wrinkle in the middle of it because they're going to take a month off for a brand-new competition that's going to take place with Liga MX, the Mexican League. So it, at least from, from that standpoint, they are worlds further ahead than they were at this time a year ago, and I think that's a statement to the work that not only Joe Labou and Zoran Cronetta have done, but also the work Christian Latanzio has done with these players to make sure that they're ready to take that next step in 2023. And you, you, you mentioned the change. You wouldn't have thought that either on opening night uh, last year. They have a coaching change in the middle of the first season. What, what has made the difference with Christian Latanzio as coach in terms of just his style, his demeanor, and the way the players have reacted to that change? He, he, I'm going to say this in a particular way that, that might not sound as, as nice, but he doesn't necessarily act like a head coach. He acts more like an assistant coach because he does a lot of that extra work with the players. He still comes in with a, with a humility about him, whereas he's not too big to do the little things with these players. He has individualized video sessions that he always does with the players. He did that going back to his time as an assistant. And he was prepared to take over this team when uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez exited about uh, nine games into the season last year. He had a working relationship with each player and a working knowledge of what needed to happen to make that player get the most out of their game. That's something he still does and something that he's not too big for. Uh, I think that he has the pulse of this locker room down pat. Uh, they look to him as it's his team now, which I think is something that 
uh, is always great for a manager. He's brought a lot of that uh, that flair that he had when he worked for New York City FC and City Football Group overseas. Uh, a very possession-style-oriented game, a lot of one-touch stuff, which is, I think, something that can really make a difference in this league that is very much based on possession. And, and to me, Jim, I just think that it now feels like his job. It's not an interim job anymore. He now is the head coach of Charlotte FC, and he's acting like it. He's like Charlotte's Ted Lasso. Does he have a <laughs> Does he have a believe sign over the door? He does not, but uh, it's weird. He had a new nickname that uh, was bestowed on him by uh, uh, a brand-new podcast that started up here in the city, a bunch of uh, female Charlotte FC fans, uh, the Queen's Pitch. Uh, they've dubbed him the Laddie Daddy. So, oh, uh, so it's kind of kind, kind of, of like uh, believe. Yeah, he was he was informed of that yesterday during the uh, press availability, and uh, he got a good chuckle out of it. Well, and now you've informed everyone. I have to ask you um, specifically: Are can we expect as much excitement from you this season as we <laughs> as we got from you last season? Because I love hearing the airplays, the, the the air checks of you, the replays that Bo has. It's my favorite thing to listen to. I, I plan on bringing every little bit of the enthusiasm, if not more, this season. And uh, I know we talked to Jess uh, pretty much on a daily basis now over the last two weeks. And we just both are so very excited uh, and humbled, really, to be once again part of this organization. Uh, the great thing, uh, not not just being able to hear us on, uh, we'll be on WLNK this weekend, but WFNC from here on out. The one thing that's really great with the new interface uh, with Apple TV, this, uh, the TV deal that's come about, is that for home games, you'll be able to uh, take the home broadcast of, uh, of the radio and sync it up with the video that's going on on Apple TV. There'll be a little drop-down menu that you can bring up, and uh, you'll be able to listen to us what? while watching the Very game. Cool. Really, really cool. You're going to be on Apple TV. Just like Ted Lasso. Just like Ted Lasso. <laughs> this right. is all coming full circle, guys. Very much so. Hey, Will, a very, very serious uh, question here. So Anton Walks, of course, the player that passed away a couple of weeks ago. I know there are some uh, moments that are going to be dedicated, and, of course, the season in some way dedicated to him. But uh, from this first match, uh, what are some of the expectations for the fans that are there? Well, I know it's going to be a very emotional moment uh, before the game. They're going to have uh, a moment to, to honor him before the match. I know one thing, too, that the supporters are planning is uh, something that's very common in the game that uh, when a player passes, whether they're an active player or somebody who is uh, long retired, they will, at the, the minute that denotes their number, there'll be a, a one-minute stand and applause. So uh, after the fifth minute passes, on uh, Saturday night, there will be uh, supporters will all stand up and clap for uh, consecutively for a minute uh, to honor Anton. Um, that is still something that I feel like is going to be a big, big part of the heartbeat of this organization for not just this year, but for years to come, because Anton provided such a great inspiration to the locker room and to the soccer community in just a very, very short time. Uh, Christian Latanzio, one of the things that he has said is that he wants to talk about Anton like he's in the present tense. He, uh, he actually characterizes Anton as his, quote, special assistant. So uh, the, his memory will not be forgotten, and it will certainly be honored uh, tomorrow night at the bank. Willie P. and uh, Jessica on the call on, like he said, on uh, WLNK tomorrow night because there's a Hornets conflict, but every other game will be on WFNZ. The pregame at 7 and the, uh, the beginning at 7.30, New England and Charlotte FC. The, the second season. We're psyched, man. Thanks for joining us. 
Always love joining you guys. Thank you. All right, there he is. Will Pelagic here on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. You know, people ask us all the time, how do we get up so early in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. When you wake up uh, at 3 o'clock, you just use this as an alarm, right? Okay, go take on the day. See, right? <laughs> believe. <laughs> believe, guys, believe. All right, 7.36 on WBT. Got a packed schedule between now and 10 a.m. Coming up, crossing the streams with Brett Winterbull. Then coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, the entire 8 o'clock hour, in studio, taking your phone calls about the uh, Alec Murdoch trial. The one and only Bill Graham. Oh, I am so excited about this. And then if that's not enough, in the 9 o'clock hour, it's Charlotte's most beloved John Hancock. Always excited about that. Great to be on the Jeff Katz Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the meantime, speaking of uh, the light exiting, you know, I always like to bring up stories about sleep when we can because people are waking up, listening to us, hopefully not going to sleep. Listen, but, but if you're, if you're working right. the third shift, you, you could be. be. You yeah. could be. You could be. You never know what somebody's situation may be. But sleep is always an interesting subject because everybody can identify. Yes, and you might be waking up groggy. You might be waking up tired. You might be thinking, I'm not getting enough sleep. Well, according to a new study, if you do these five things when it comes to your sleeping, you can add five years to your life. Five years to your life if you're a man. Does it involve crisscross applesauce? <laughs> no. No. So, oh. Give you a little music. Nice. I love this. Do it in your AI voice. <laughs> Here are each of the five healthy sleep habits. Falling asleep easily, habit number one. Staying asleep the entire night, habit number two. Getting seven to eight hours of sleep each night. <laughs> yeah. Waking up rested, which that seems like obvious if you are doing all of the other These things. Are tips. <laughs> Here's the other: foregoing sleep meds, learning how to relax your brain, get your seven to eight hours of sleep, stay asleep, which I think has to do with the a air conditioning and b your pillow. Hmm. I will, <laughs> I will tell you this. Otherwise, we don't respond. <laughs> I just stare at you blankly. <laughs> I will tell you this. I don't know what it is about me, but when I, I can't take take uh, like sleep. If I take uh, if I have a cold, I can't take Nyquil. I can only take Dayquil, even at night, because the Nyquil works in, re in the reverse way for me. <gasps> you know why? It makes me jittery. You know why? Why? It raises your blood pressure. Yeah. So I can't. I mean, that may, that that makes me stay up more. It can. It, they have a new one for people with high blood pressure that that doesn't. Boquil. <laughs> <laughs> They make quill now. It's called night bow. It's called night night bow. <laughs> yes. It's Thursday. Where's Bo been all week? He's been sleeping since Monday. I'm doing that four day work week. Are these thing. the actual tips or the results of? Yeah, this is the result of a study. Now, no, the, none of those were a tip though. They were all like common sense <laughs> results you hope for. Well, but it's the thing that people don't do. They don't schedule their time to get seven to eight hours of sleep. They don't know how to relax their minds to fall asleep, and they're not sleeping in such a way that they stay asleep. So again, it's, I didn't hear the answer to any of those. It's your pillow. How do you relax your brain? My pillow. Well, <laughs> <laughs> why are you in my medicine cabinet? <laughs> Staring at me. Why is your mustache so dark? <laughs> here, here, have some slippers. <laughs> There's the key. That's the answer right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, 
This is a uh, study from Harvard Medical School and the Beth Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. If we can improve our overall sleep. The Beth sleep, Troutman Center. <laughs> the, exactly, the Beth Troutman Center for Sleep. Recent studies have shown that irregular, irregularity in sleep timing and duration have been linked to metabolic abnormalities and higher cardiovascular risks, encouraging maintenance of regular sleep schedules with consistent sleep duration may be an important part of your lifestyle and can help add five years to the male life, only two and a half, though, to the female life. Remember, um, again, kind of back in the day, a glass of warm milk was always like the thing they would say, at least in cartoons, about how to fall asleep. Why, why, would, why would warm milk make you sleep? It gives me heartburn. At least in cartoons. <laughs> That's what I watched. Yosemite Sam would end his day with one every yeah, time. Yeah, a glass of warm day. milk. John? Thank God there's an older person in the room right here. That. It just sounded funny. <laughs> At least in cartoons. So Bugs Bunny recommended. It's more than just a snack. <laughs> I can taste the value. <laughs> so they studied over 172,000 people over the course of this study that began in 2013 and then again in 2018. Um, the annual survey itself was done by the CDC and the five, I'm going to say them again, the five healthy habits, fall asleep. <laughs> Wait, how's the healthy habit of falling asleep? Number one, fall asleep. Right. How to make a million dollars. Begin with a million dollars. You're right. These are really dumb. It's like how, to, how to be rich. Number one, be rich. Fall asleep, then stay asleep. How to get better sleep. Number one, fall asleep. That's really the number one tip. Oh. I didn't really think about it the way that I was... Number two. I've been saying it for 10 minutes. Like, this is like common sense Number results two of is sleeping. Staying asleep. <laughs> Number three, drink warm milk while watching cartoons. <laughs> but that was like the best tip of all. At least that was like a tip, like yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, had, it did have a little bit of, you had to actually do some, right. some stuff. Go to sleep. Stay asleep. Wake up. Number three, you get, get seven to eight hours of sleep. Right. Knew that going in. Oh, my gosh. I'm crying. And number four is wake up rested. Wow. Right. That's amazing. These are not tips. These are just things that happen when you sleep. When I read them. Aaron Rodgers in his cave got all that. When I read them in my AI voice, they seemed so logical. That sounds like something AI would give as advice. Exactly. And now they don't. The only one that's any good is don't take sleep meds. Yeah, that was actual that was functional. Actual Although that's the only thing that can help you with all of the other four. And we found out Bo's got some aversion to all of that. <laughs> well, we found out you watch cartoons to find out everything. <laughs> Which was more helpful than any of the tips from Harvard. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Time to cross the streams. Presented by Window Nation. Upgrade your windows today at windownation.com. Afternoons, 3 to 6, the Brett Winterville Show, crossing the streams. One final time on a Friday this week. What's going on? Hey, you know, just watching all the uh, different storylines that are out there floating around here. We got uh, war in Ukraine goes into year number two and uh, all sorts of other things that are being played out, including a very high-profile murder trial in uh, in South Carolina. Lots of stuff out there. Yeah, uh, and we have uh, Bill Graham who's going to be with us in studio for the entire hour next hour to take phone calls and talk about uh, everything that is uh, uh, the Murdoch case. Uh, you mentioned all the things that are going on. I, I do want to start with uh, what we saw yesterday in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. So uh, a day after President Trump 
uh, comes through there, um, you know, and, and, and talking to folks there, giving out water and, and uh, making an appearance. Uh, then Pete Buttigieg, the uh, mm-hmm. transportation secretary, uh, ends up uh, making his stop there yesterday and took some questions and some questions he didn't take. Uh, I'm curious as to what you make of the last two days there. There's been all this clamoring for, uh, for awareness and, and people to – uh, to take what's going on seriously there and provide answers. And now the last two days, uh, there have been uh, some notable appearances. Yeah, uh, look, he uh, he went and he took the tour. He put the hard hat on and the uh, the, the vest and the whole thing and, and looked around and, and, you know, took in what it was that happened there. It's going to be a long struggle to get these people uh, back to where they were. Really, they deserve to be better than where they were uh, to begin with. Uh, so they're going to remediate all this dirt. That stuff's getting uh, pulled out. Uh, it, they're going to go dump that in Texas, is the reporting that I saw. Um, and then you've got the long-term effects because perception is always reality. These people, if they don't feel safe, are not going to feel safe. And and Pete Buttigieg coming in and uh, Hamidi, who runs the uh, National Transportation Safety uh, Board, uh, you know, she made comments yesterday that basically roasted the company, uh, Norfolk Southern, and sandwiched between those events, you had on uh, yesterday was what, Thursday? So Wednesday night, there was a town hall with Alan Shaw, who's the CEO of Norfolk Southern. Uh, they brought in, you know, five, ten people who live in Palestine and were saying to him, you know, this is terrible. We don't feel safe. This is awful. And um, he, he was ice cold. This was a guy who, who was um, absolutely uh, checked out, was doing the talking points and all that sort of stuff. What all this will do is it will it will mean more likely than not that Biden will stay away from this scene until it's, quote, fixed or it's greatly improved, which means I, I, I bet he doesn't go out to East Palestine until probably into the uh, campaign cycle. Do you think that any of this changes um, regulations again? No. I know that regulations were rolled back uh, a few years ago. And then, you know, as you just mentioned, Jennifer Hamandy was there yesterday, who was the chair of the NTSB, and talked about the, the sensors on the tracks that indicated to the train conductors that the, the, the axles were overheating and that they did deploy the brakes. They did everything that they were supposed to do when the, that alarm initially sounded. Um, but she was saying that it was preventable. Yeah, I, I say this on my show all the time. It's a broken record. What will end up happening is they'll blame the system for failure. The system failed. It didn't work. Uh, we've got to add more layers of, of this or that. But at, at the end of that discussion, it's it's ultimately decisions being made uh, by management and, and by the people who were in charge of that train to, to make sure that they do the right stuff. We've all seen the video now that the surveillance video where the the train is basically on fire at a thousand degrees or whatever it is in the in the. So clearly something was going on. We've all been near trains when they're coming down the tracks. And if you can imagine hearing that screech, that squeal coming off of that. You know, that would draw attention. But uh, again, I think they're just going to blame the system for failure. Let me play a clip uh, that I was uh, I wrote a little of this earlier in the show. Uh, it was one year ago today. This is Steve Harrigan on the ground in Kiev. It's really what are you hearing so far this morning? A lot of really bad sounds from about an hour before dawn here. We heard explosions off to the southwest. Eight or ten at a time that sounded like thunder, more explosions. Then we heard air raid sirens. We've heard jets overhead. We've heard helicopters overhead. Those sounds are enough to scare people here in Kiev enough to make them flee. 
Uh, there was a, a lot of denial about the possibility that this could be a widespread Russian invasion, that the Russians would attack their neighbors, their brethren here in Ukraine. Well, they are attacking and attacking in full force. So now, at the last minute, after the bombs have already begun to fall, people are fleeing. They're getting in their cars with their children with their families, with their pets, throwing everything in the car and trying to get out of town. They are all heading west in the direction towards Poland. So a real sense of fear here that speaks to two things, I think. One, that people didn't imagine that this could happen. They didn't imagine that Vladimir Putin would attack Ukraine and would attack the capital here of Kiev. And two, poor preparation by the government, the government not preparing its people for this possibility, which is now a reality. So a desperate situation, people stuck on the highway, afraid and trying to get away. Now, I play this as I have seen uh, in, in recent minutes, uh, the, sta the same Steve Harrigan, same place he was a year ago. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting to hear him describe what it was like on February. February 24th of 2022 uh, in Ukraine, especially the part about uh, having the, the country not prepared, because I think uh, just about everybody would say that uh, no one expected them to uh, be able to put up the fight that they did right. against Russia. And right. I, I think this time last year, I would have said, and you probably would have, too, that maybe yeah. Kiev would not be standing a year later. But sure. here we are. Yeah, for sure. That was that was true. I mean, it, even the Pentagon was saying, oh, they've got 10, ten days uh, before this thing will collapse and all that sort of stuff. But you ended up with NATO backstopping them. Uh, you ended up with a great deal of cooperation by countries who didn't want to get invaded next. And so the, the, the thing that's overlooked all the time about this about this war is you have had massive casualties on the Russian side. Mm -hmm. They are demoralized over over in Russia. That doesn't mean that Putin's not going to keep throwing people in as cannon fodder. It is going to continue. But I think it makes it increasingly less likely that you're going to see like a nuclear exchange, because I think the generals understand if if this goes badly, they they deploy nukes or chemical weapons or whatever it is. They're going to be the ones standing in the dock being being tried for crimes against humanity. It won't be Putin. And uh, I think this is a war of attrition. China's going to try to come in there and broker some kind of a weird deal. I, I, I you know, I don't I, I don't know what uh, this is going to play out as, but. I'm hoping that we're much closer to the end than we are to the beginning. What you do know is what's coming up on the Brett yeah. Venerable Show this afternoon. Oh, we got a lot of stuff. Uh, we're going to look at the economy, uh, the, the direction uh, this this uh, economy is, is taking us in this country. A lot of changes happening out there. And uh, we'll also uh, take a look at a big, high-profile trial that just wrapped up on the left coast. We'll talk about that and everything else. We will talk about a high-profile case that is about to wrap up on the East Coast. I think That's you right. Know, Walterboro, South Carolina, all things Murdoch trial coming up in our next hour with Bill Graham in studio. Brett Winterbull today at 3 right here on WB. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tea. Bill Graham knows there's a lot more we can do together. I can't do it. You can't do it alone. But together, we can do it. So yesterday, with all that's going on, we convinced Bill Graham to stay with us a bonus segment. Uh-huh. And then he and I were texting last night. 
And he says, well, if you'd like me to come in studio at some point and take calls and answer questions, I'd be glad to do that. To which my response was, how about tomorrow? And look at this. Bill Graham is in studio from the law offices of Wallace and Graham, one of our longtime favorites here, our legal analyst and uh, just all around good guy. It's good to have you in the room. Glad to be here. Cartoon uh, characters and all. Yeah. I, I told Beth, I said, I wonder if he's been listening on the way in. Oh, yeah. And he walked in and verified that he had, in fact, been listening. Yeah. Bill Graham took a U-turn and is headed back. <laughs> um, well. I, I just didn't know how Zoki got onto cartoon characters and milk. And so then yeah. we were talk, talking about off the air that it's melatonin in the milk that exacerbates that. And it's activated by the heat. I believe so, yes. And I should have asked you, did you learn that as well on on, on cartoons like Jim did? Uh, Probably not the cartoons that Jim watches. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, um, it happened yesterday. Uh, Yes, it did. Most people who have been watching the trial in recent weeks uh, have said that they expected this based on recent developments. Although, if you went back to the beginning of this trial, a lot of people would say they did not think yesterday would happen. And what I mean by that is Alec Murdoch took the stand yesterday in his own defense. Uh, And I want to play a a few clips here and get your general reaction to what you saw. And then we're going to open up the phones, uh, 704-570-1110. So if you have questions for Bill Graham about something you watched yesterday, anything, I mean, you know, what he he said, uh, what he was asked, what you saw with people watching in the courtroom. Objections. Yeah. I mean, judge. Doesn't matter. Anything is fair game. I think the first appropriate clip to play here happened early in the testimony yesterday. Did you shoot a 300 blackout into her head, causing her death? Mr. Griffin, I didn't shoot my wife or my son any time. So that was him denying that he uh, committed these acts. Now, the other part of this that really got people talking yesterday was Alec Murdoch admitting to lying about various things that happened in the case uh, in this particular clip uh, about being at the murder scene on the night that this happened. You, in fact, at the kennels at 8.44 p.m. on the night Maggie and Paul were murdered. I was. Did you lie to Sled Agent Owen and Deputy Laura Rutland on the night of June 7th and told them that you stayed at the house after dinner? I did lie to them. Alec, why did you lie? As my addiction evolved over time, I would get in these situations or circumstances where I would get paranoid thinking. I had a deputy sheriff taking gunshot tests from my hands. I'm sitting in a police car with David Owen asking me about my relationship with my wife and my son. And all those things coupled together after finding them, coupled with my distrust for SLED, caused me to have paranoid thoughts. I wasn't thinking clearly. And I lied about being down there. And I'm so sorry that I did. Okay, so there, uh, and there's more, uh, but I I just want to start there. Um, Your thoughts uh, as you watched his testimony yesterday. Yeah, so yesterday we talked about him, his testimony, and there were holes in the defense's case. He had to fill that hole with something, and what he filled it with was, I lied. I told a lie, and I told it to SLED because I distrusted them. Now, why he distrusted them, I think, is a question that I have. I think a lot of people have. Why did he distrust SLED? 
uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. And the, the other thing is that pops into my mind as a prosecutor, and I think this will be cleaned up today if, uh, if your prosecutor's on his A game from yesterday's performance, is, uh, okay, you lied. Now, tell the jury, tell this court, what happened after? Where'd you go? What'd you do? What'd you see? Who was there? Did you hear anything? Did you hear nothing? If you say, if you say somebody else made the, the, you know, committed these murders, did you sleep through it? Were you in the house? How long did it take you to get there? Did you get in your car? What'd you do? So you got to go through that to because that's in the minds of the jurors now. Okay, this guy lied. Now what? Because it throws a he had to fill that hole though. Mm -hmm. You see. So his lawyers knew he's going to have to admit that he lied to SLED and, and, and left the lie there for a long time, months, where he could have come back and said, you know, uh, I'm clean now, I'm sober now, I'm whatever now, and now I want to, I, I, I need to clean up something that was in the investigation. He never volunteered that. Mm -hmm. That hurt. That hurts. Don't wait to the day of trial to do that. If his lawyers knew that he told a lie, he should have gone to the investigators. Look, my guy's got, we need to go back on the record, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, let's get a court reporter in here and let's get this down and turn the video on and let's get it on the record. Isn't that hugely problematic Absolutely. for the defense? I mean, not only that he lied, but the continuation of the lie doesn't that in some way point to the fact that he didn't care that his son was dead and that his wife was dead and that they weren't going to he wasn't giving them all of the information they could use or could need to to solve the murder if it wasn't him that he's just left this huge gaping gray hole yeah so either one of two things is true either his lawyers believed him which i don't believe they do or uh, he thought, well, I'm just going to play this string out, and I'm going to see if I get away with it. Which is kind of his M.O., right? He's playing this string out and getting if, away if, with it. If you, if you look at the prior acts of what he had been doing with his clients and the money, he had gotten away with it mm -hmm. for a long time. I mean, some of this stuff goes back 10 years or more. WPT. I know, I know. You're thinking Bo's finally lost it. He's playing Mick Mulvaney's theme on Friday. But no, no, this is actually brilliant cross-promotion right here. Mm -hmm. On the WBT hotline is the guy who will be in studio with us, as he always is on Monday from 9 to 10, former White House Chief of Staff and South Carolina Congressman, White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney, who is listening to the show and has a question for Bill Graham. So Mick Mulvaney, welcome on a Friday. Yeah, Bo Beth, good morning. I hope you can hear me. Uh, Bill, thanks for doing this. Uh, hey, yeah, Congressman, like, how are I you? Called him, I called him during the break, and the question is this. I followed this for a long time. I used to practice law, though not in South Carolina. never did criminal, but this is a sort of a local story going all the way back to the girl that got killed uh, in the boat accident. Yep. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. What's the motive for the murder? I, I, I don't buy this idea that it was done to distract from his financial crimes. I'm not sure how murdering your wife and your son distracts from other crimes. And I'm not sure the prosecution has made a case yet. I've not heard anything about insurance policies on the wife. 
and I'm just not sure the jury, if I'm on the jury, I'm wondering, okay, I get all this, I understand the lies, I got the forensic evidence, but why would he kill his wife, and does the prosecution have to make a strong case for that in order to get a conviction? Uh, I'll answer your second question first. Uh, no, um, I don't think they have to prove motive to get a conviction. Uh, why did he do it? Um, you know, why did he take the client's money? Why did he uh, set up the fake, um, you know, murder, you know, shooting, having somebody shoot him in the head beside the road? That made no sense. Um, I, I can't answer you at this stage of the game. I don't know that, that anyone knows and I think a lot of people have the same question that you have. Why, why go through all this? Why, why do that? Uh, what, what do you get out of it? Um, I'm not sure I know myself. And I think everyone else has got the same question. Um, why murder your, your, your wife and your son? Well, here there are a couple of, um, you know, there's so much information that's coming out now. There are a few documentaries that have popped up, one on Netflix that just hit this week that um, claimed, and this this could play, Mick, and this is to uh, an idea of motive. There are claims and reports saying that his wife had um, looked into filing for a divorce because she had found out that he wasn't paying all of the bills in the way that he should. And then there's the second um, part of the that week that the murder happened on June 7th, I believe on June 10th. 10th was the first hearing for the venue of the trial for Paul. And in that venue hearing, a financial statement from um, from Murdoch reportedly was supposed to come out. And he even mentioned on the stand yesterday that he had written, handwritten out everything that was supposed to be typed up by an assistant who wasn't his. So could they use all of that as motive, the, the divorce and financial crimes, and that he didn't actually want to appear in court with that financial statement on the 10th and without the son, then that wouldn't exist, that, that court hearing wouldn't happen. Is that potential? No, but I think a lot of that evidence um, would eventually come into a hearing at some point in, the, in what, what is now the future. Uh, that evidence would have come in. So eliminating his son and his wife would not have uh, foreclosed that evidence. That coming evidence. In. Yeah. Eventually that would have all come into come into evidence, either through deposition or subpoena of documents. Um, so th that door stays open. He doesn't close that door by murdering his son and his Does wife by himself time. Maybe. But time to do what? It, it is just a kicking the can down the road. Um, so to go back to the congressman's question, I can't answer that right now, but, um, I think the, the, the answer w may, may reveal itself, uh, you know, here pretty soon. Mick, did oh, we... Real quickly, one last, one last thing that I'll go, and thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. The, the, so, uh, Bill, do you think the defense, that's one of the things the defense is going to be harping on is to try to create the doubt in the jury as to the lack of motive, if there is a lack of motive. A absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Don't you think Harpoolian's going to say he's going to stand up in the closing argument? He's going to say, look, they put my guy at the scene. They found no blood on him. They, they have no weapon. They have no, they had nothing. They had two dead bodies, uh, tragically. And they have no motive. They can't so they can't explain to this jury or anybody in this courtroom or anybody out here in the public why this guy wanted to do kill his son and his daughter that he loves so much. So you got to ask yourself in your heart. You got to look in your heart and you got to say, do we believe this fella did this horrific thing? Now he said he lied.
okay, he was honest and truthful here in the courtroom. Um, but um, the jury's going to have a, a lot to chew on. Well, Beth, thanks very much, Bill. I appreciate it. You have a good weekend. Mick Mulvaney listening to the show here with Bill Graham, and Mick will be in studio with us uh, 9 to 10 on Monday. Uh, some of the most dramatic testimony uh, that we heard from uh, yesterday uh, regarding Alec Murdoch was this right here. We were just talking about the crime scene. This is what he said uh, as he walked up. I know I tried to turn him over. When you say you tried to turn him over, what, why were you trying to turn him over? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I tried to turn him over. Me and my boys laid face down. <laughs> he's doing the way he's doing. His head was the way his head was. I could see his could see his brain laying on the sidewalk. I didn't know what to do. A lot of people were uh, taken aback by that part. Uh, there's also, uh, as he got into uh, talking about, uh, I mean, we mentioned the, uh, John Moore, I'm on the fly here, number five. We talked about the finances and the disclosure yesterday about um, the the things that he was not being truthful about. This is where he's talking about uh, and admitting to uh, stealing money from his own law firm. Did you do that? I did. Did you yeah. steal um, or divert that Ferris fee away from the law firm? I did. How did you get in such a financial predicament that led you to steal money that wasn't yours? You know, I'm not quite sure how I let myself get where I got, but it came from battle that addiction for so many years. I was spending so much money on pills. So you're hearing these stories of this horrific scene that he's reacting to, and, and all the while you're also hearing in the same testimony about things that he wasn't truthful about. So if you're a, if you're a juror, how do you trust? How do you way? process this? Yeah, you, at the end of the day, the jury's got to retire to the jury room, and they've got to say, do I believe anything this guy says? Now, I want to point out something that Beth and I were talking about off the air and the cross-exam. And at the end of the day, yesterday, which is going to pick up today, mm -hmm. is the prosecutor beating on him and beating on him and beating on him about, um, did you ever look any of your clients in the eye and tell them that this was, you know, this was a settlement statement and this was the money and this is what you're going to get and you lied to them. You looked them right in the eye and you lied to them. And, and he would always, and Murdoch would always come back and say, well, I don't dispute you know, anything you say, and that was his response. Mm -hmm. And and then the prosecutor got kind of ticked off and says, did you did you practice that response? Is that, you know, you've mm -hmm. been back then? Hold that thought because I want to get back around to some of the body language yesterday. Yeah. And some of the man, Beth and I were texting back and but forth I wanna, watching this. I want to tell you why he's doing that. WBT. Welcome back, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, and in studio, the one and only Bill Graham from the law offices of Wallace and Graham. And we're taking stock, making sense of day one of Alec Murdoch on the stand yesterday. It will continue uh, about an hour from right now. He'll be back uh, taking questions again. Uh, here, here's another moment from yesterday. You continued lying after that night, did you not? But once I lied, I continued to lie, yes, sir. Why? You know, oh, what a tangled web we weave. But once I told the lie, and I told my family, I... I had to keep lying. So, Bill, um, I want to talk about 
what you hear and also what you see, because it's one thing we hear the testimony and you heard it right there. But if you're watching it on television, you know, you see uh, mannerisms and you you see what some people in the in the audience uh, are, are you know, re- how, how they are reacting. reacting. And, and also the dynamic of. Uh, well, two things. First of all, uh, the uh, the questioner not being used to being in that situation, and then Alec Murdoch is, you know, an attorney himself. He, that's a whole dynamic to this that makes it fascinating to me as well, mm-hmm. uh, because this is not his first rodeo in a courtroom. Right. So uh, help me, uh, I guess the best way to ask this is, as you watched this yesterday, um, what are we seeing or what are you seeing that the, the layperson's not necessarily seeing? That the witness is talking too much, and he's doing exactly what I told y'all he was going to do. When asked a question, he didn't just ask the answer the question. He has to pontificate. He has to go, and and even the prosecutor yesterday on cross examination. You never do this as a witness. And as lawyers, he should have. Well, you know they might have a client that they can't control, but he volunteered and wanted to talk after the question was over, mm-hmm. and even interrupted the prosecutor on cross examination. Knock that off. What are you doing? Just ask, answer the question, okay? So Beth's dying to know. Ask, go ahead and ask your question. <laughs> well, there are so many. Let's let's get to the one question that I'm dying to ask is about the prosecutor that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. In and you said this right before we went to break. As he was kind of hammering home this idea, did you look in the, them in the eye? Can you remember? Why can't you remember these conversations? These are people that you're saying you care about. Give me a specific example. And he was hammering that point home. And you have a theory as to why and no, I know, what, I, what's going to happen. I know why he's doing it. Why do you think he's doing it? Let me ask you that. We'll do the Socratic method here in just <laughs> All a right. second. I love the Socratic method. So here's what I think. So Beth I, is on the stand. So this is why I thought it was kind of genius, because there's no upside. Because, one, if he's saying, I can't remember, then he's saying, I don't care enough about these clients who were injured severely. One was a, right. a quadriplegic because of the accident that he was uh, you know, representing him for, that you don't care enough about them as human beings to even have a conversation and look them in the eye or you don't care enough about them to remember, A, that makes him a monster. B, if he says, yes, I remember the conversation, I did look them in the eye, I did lie to them, that makes him a monster too because both things aren't a good look. Either way, you don't care enough to remember them. B, you remember, but you don't care enough to care. Okay, that's the foundation for the conclusion. Okay, you've laid the foundation for the house. All right, so now you got to build on top of that. So the way you build on top of that is you're preparing for your closing argument. And the closing argument is, if you're the prosecutor, is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know what he just... So what he's trying to get him to do is say, yes, I looked them in the eye and I lied. Mm -hmm. That's what he's trying to get him to say. But he's not giving him that answer. That's why he's frustrated. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if I did, if I was a judge, I would have said, Mr. Prosecutor, Mr. Solicitor, move on. He's not going to give you the answer you want. Let's 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 keep on going. We're not going to just sit here and go hungry. So what he's trying to do is get him to answer the way he wants him to answer, and then tell the jury at closing arguments, you know what? You remember when he testified that he looked those people in the eye and stole their money and lied to them. He's stealing now and he's lying to you now 
He's doing the same thing he did for the last 10 years, and he's doing it in this courtroom. He's lying to you. He's lying to me. He's lying to his lawyers. He lied to SLED. He lied to the judge. He lied to everybody. He's not to be trusted. Don't you trust him now. He did this murder. That's what he's trying to do. It's mm -hmm. a closing argument dynamic. So he's laying the foundation for his closing argument. And then back to Mick's question. So in that closing argument, when he's saying he lied to you, he lied to me, he's lied. And Mick Mulvaney, when he called in last last um, last segment, he, the, the, he, the prosecutor doesn't have to say this is why he did it. He just is he just is this person. If the if the prosecutor can prove motive, he's allowed to put forward the evidence that he could. I think what he's going to do is say, you know, th this person. Maybe he had a drug addiction. Maybe he used bad judgment. But in that bad judgment, he committed one after the other a financial crime. And the, 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 the jig was up. And he had to do something to cover his tracks. Didn't say it made any sense. He wasn't thinking logically anyway. None of us that are thinking logically about this would have done what he did. But he did what he did. And the evidence showed that he did what he did. Now, I don't know if they're going to make that argument or not, but that's, I would consider making that. Good news, the jig is not up. We have one more segment here. I know, I want 100 more segments with Bill Graham. Can you just, like, ride home with me today and I can keep having the conversation? Uh, Bo and Beth here with Bill Graham from the law offices of Wallace and Graham. Friday morning on WBT with Bo and Beth here on Good Morning BT. Charlotte's most beloved John Hancock takes us home next hour, as always, on Friday. And uh, we have a special in-studio appearance by Bill Graham today. And, of course, uh, brought to us by the law offices of Wallace and Graham. Wallace and Graham over 35 years representing personal injury clients in North Carolina. Uh, we have like a checklist of items to get to uh, on, our, on our way out here. I mentioned before the break that I, I noticed something yesterday as I'm watching that once I sort of focused in on it, I couldn't not couldn't see, it. see it. When Murdoch was, I mean, there was the, you know, the, the tears and the, uh, the, the, the graphic testimony, but if you're just watching body language, for so much of his testimony yesterday, he would nod as he was saying it. And nod over, and I texted Beth, and I said, "He, you noticed how much he nods. Uh, what's going on here? It almost looks like again. You, you said earlier in the show, um, we're talking about uh, witnesses and 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 what uh, examinations trying to uh, create the idea of or suggest in the in the in the mind of a juror. But if you're watching that yesterday, the thought did cross my mind. It, it almost looks like the guy is. It seems like he's, he's saying something that's rehearsed, like something you'd say in front of a mirror. I'm just talking about body language, but I even thought to myself, the nodding, that... Is he trying to that, convince himself? Is he trying to convince himself? Or if I'm, if I'm his attorney, I probably don't like that he's doing that. It's a, um, a physical reaction to a discomforting situation. He finds himself in a situation where he's having to um, answer a question that he doesn't really want to answer. He's, he's trying to make a response that he thinks is going to sell, and so he's, he's pushing it. He's selling it. That's, that's where the physicality comes in. I'm selling you. I'm selling you. I'm selling you. Are you buying what I'm selling you? Come, you you, you got to buy what I'm telling you because it's going to turn out right for me. Okay. But if so, you're a juror, can't, can't that backfire because it can look like sure. you're trying to sell yourself on sure, it? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I mean, jurors pick up on that. Jurors are smart people. Uh, every time you get into a complex case, whether it's a murder case or a civil case, the, the, the lawyers say, oh, God, the jury's never going to get all this complex stuff. They always get it. They always 
you have to break it down. You have to get into the elements of your case, whether it's a civil or criminal case. But in the end, the jurors typically get it right. Well, let's talk about the performance itself and whether or not the jury is going to buy certain aspects of his testimony. There were terms that he used of terms of affection for his son, for his wife, for his friends that we have never heard in any of the the videos of his um, interviews, any of the the body camera footage. He started calling his son Paul Paul. Mm -hmm. He called his wife Maggie Mags. He called his friend Roland or called him Roro. These are terms of endearment that we haven't heard. Is that part of the performance and is that over the top? Is that going to backfire as well? I don't know if the the jurors will put a lot in that. Um, You're in the uh, you know, the broadcast business. So you pick up on those kinds of things. I think the jurors, you know, somebody may mention, may mention something about that. But, you know, if you look at the video clips of the interviews, he never says any never. of those kinds of, of words. He never describes the people with those names. So this is somewhat in the trial drama uh, lingo bucket. And um, it, it, it may, I mean, maybe it's coming home to him what, has happened. And maybe this is his way of dealing with it internally. Who, who knows? I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. We talk a lot about uh, uh, the jurors and, and the sequestering and what they deal with while they're going through this process. Uh, I have a question, though, about Murdoch himself, because yesterday he's on the stand and they take a break for lunch. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching uh, the coverage and then the break during the coverage, you know, what does he have access to? Uh, and, and what can he hear? I mean, Beth brought up Netflix earlier. Uh, yeah, you know, all the stuff that's going around this trial and as much hoopla and as much media coverage as it gets, you know, you, you try to have these happen in, in a bubble where people can hear the evidence, uh, whatever part of the trial you're part of, and be isolated from all the noise. But there's no way you avoid all this noise. Uh, does, does Alec Murdoch have access to a phone? Does he have access to uh, a TV screen anywhere when he goes and where, where, where he's held and, you know, during the trial and leading up to the trial and while it's happening? I, I, that may be a dumb question, but I think there are people who may not know the answer to it. Yeah, I think he has access to a television. I think he has access to a phone at some parts of the day to communicate uh, with um, his lawyers or whoever. Um, but uh, beyond that, no. But can Alec Murdoch access Twitter and see what people are saying about his performance that he just got off for the break? I, unless someone is telling him what right. is on Twitter, I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, God bless the judge. I don't know how you keep all of that, yeah. you know, confined. Uh, but um, it, this is um, it, there's drama like on top of drama on this case. And I think he's managing it very well. Mm -hmm. But what Murdoch himself has access to, uh, if if I were his lawyers, I would say, don't read any of that stuff. Don't pay any attention to that stuff. It's going to get in your head and it will mess up your testimony. And 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 one of the callers earlier had said, you think the lawyers or the staff is looking at Netflix. Um, I would say no. It would get them off their game if if they thought that they were going to buy some kind of writer's theory and interjected into the case at this point, that would be hazardous. Well, you, you, you hit it, though. I think maybe what I should have said is, I mean, I don't think any of us think that, that, that Murdoch, Alec Murdoch, is there, you know, on his phone watching. But, but can stuff get, get to him? Can it sure. get back to him? Sure, sure. And, and, and we all know how much coverage this thing is getting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to avoid it. And I know we've got to, we have to let you go, but I wanted mm. to really quickly, if you can break down um, 
these financial crimes, as we were kind of getting into the weeds of the testimony of the financial crimes, Mm -hmm. how exactly was he stealing this money on top of the funds that he was already getting from his clients from these settlements? Well, in the one case, what he did was he he, they appointed a conservator, which turned out to be a banker or, or some relationship to a banker where then he he deposited the settlement proceeds in some kind of a structured settlement. We can talk about that one day when we've all had more sleep. But uh, uh, What's that? He, didn't, he didn't took that money and leveraged it as a loan back to himself. So just pulling it out of the account that was supposed to be in the conservatorship. He, his buddy he used was the, the client's money as an asset to then gain a loan. And, and the, the bargain for the deal was he was going to pay the victims who, who were his clients an, an interest rate that they would not otherwise get. So that's why he stole the money from the other guy, so he could pay these kids off before they were 18. That's where that whole thing, and I'll explain that transaction when y'all are. When when we have you back on the next time you're able. Exactly. On Thursday when we have you, we'll get this long question in. Something tells me we're going to talk to him before Thursday. (laughs) I hope so. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. We're about a half hour away from him returning to the stand. Uh, What's the biggest thing you're watching for today? The prosecutor's going to try to get that question answered the way he wants it answered, and he's not going to do it, and he's going to move on, and then uh, he'll he'll be off the stand uh, probably mid-afternoon. Oh, yeah? Because there's there's going to be a redirect, so uh, Harpootlian's side is going to have a chance to redirect, so they can clean up some of the things he's already said in cross examination. So yeah, it might go all day. So uh, going to be another uh, yeah, yeah, interesting yeah. day yeah, yeah. Uh, in Walterboro. Uh, this has been a fascinating hour. I can't thank you enough for coming in on Glad short to notice. Do it. Happy uh, to be here. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great weekend, Bill Graham, Bo Thompson. Y'all be safe. Yes, sir. You too. John Hancock coming up next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I walked in here and said, uh, is Bill still here? And I said, he's probably to his car about now. And um, so he, John started walking to the lobby, and I called Bill. I said, hey, are you on the street yet? No. I said, hang on, because uh, this, this introduction needs to happen. So you just, uh, you just uh, met Bill Graham. Yeah, a lot younger than what I, uh, I, I guess I had visualized in uh, my mind. Um, but, uh, and he looks great for a guy who uh, just uh, passed his fifth year anniversary of uh, passing away. You know, <laughs> am I wrong on that? No, no I, I just me, got it. It took, it took me, me a second. He's like, yes. oh, 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 he's yes. a little cutie patootie. I, I, um, I, I was saying that as, uh, as you were, as you were walking in. I, I just love him. Beth just attaches cute to everything. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it could be uh, Bill Graham's a cutie patootie, or Bo's going on a cute little guy's weekend. I mean, it's just. I, it's so funny. You're right, because his wisdom, he's so smart about, I mean, everything. You could ask Bill Graham anything, and he knows uh, a very um, articulate answer. He has a very articulate answer. And but it, it's this cutie patootie guy. <laughs> 
Well, we, we love <laughs> Well, that was a here. fascinating hour because uh, to have a lawyer actually kind of yes. explain to you uh, the, the, you know, the, they're setting up the closing arguments and uh, and kind of giving you a little bit of the strategy that's involved right. there is uh, is uh, fascinating. I geeked out so hard in here. I mean, the guys are making fun of me because I was like this hyper school kid who just I had a billion questions for him, and I, I was all sweaty because I was I had I was so hyper about asking him questions. Is that Beth, too much information? Beth is the the girl or boy, whatever case, uh, you know, in your first or second grade class, and the teacher comes in, and you know, it's <laughs> February 14th, and somebody says, she says, does anybody know what day? I do, I do, I do. <laughs> that was that, me the whole that, hour. That's why we love you. Mm, well, it, it, you're right. He was. It was so great to get an idea of what the prosecution was thinking, what uh, what the the the, the attorneys for for um, Alex Murdoch himself, what they're thinking, and why he'd be on the stand, and what his behavior was. Just, it's just incredible. It, the whole the whole thing is so bizarre. Yes. Um, and I'm not following it minute by minute, and uh, but the whole thing is is just so bizarre. And but it I goes think, back so far. I think most people would be in the category of, who listen to this show, mm-hmm. would be in the category of, I've followed it in passing, I see the news reports. Yesterday was probably the first day that you sat down and, and spent a lot of time with it. Yep. Because yesterday was the star witness. Yesterday was uh, the moment that we didn't know, it, we, at the beginning, we didn't know if it was going to happen. Because and nobody takes the stand. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Bill Graham's talking about Hartputlian. I mean, he didn't want this. This is not what what his attorney wanted to happen yesterday. Mm -mm. And I thought that was maybe uh, some of the most interesting discussion last hour is that dynamic of uh, his attorneys, his his defense team uh, being uncomfortable with what he was doing Mm -hmm. because it's out of the ordinary. It almost never happens. They didn't want it to happen in this case. And yet. It did. Mm-hmm. And, and he also talked about uh, the fact that uh, uh, Murdoch yesterday was talking too much. Instead of answering yes, no, he was, well, you would think a, a lawyer of that prominence would understand, keep it simple. And, uh, and he wasn't. He, he, his answers were, according to uh, Bill, way too long. Just giving way too, inf- way too much information up at the end of yeah. each question. What you learn in life is when you, uh, if you're uh, uh, trying to fib to somebody or get by somebody, uh, shut up. Yeah, because the the fibbers, <laughs> the fibbers are always the ones who give details. Mm-hmm. Well, you also walk yourself into a corner because uh, then at some point you have to go back and remember what you said. Yep. So if you uh, if you talk too long, you forget you forget what you said. Before you're finished saying it, mm-hmm. I felt like he got himself in some of those moments yesterday because I, like most people, had had been paying attention based on updates and news stories until yesterday, and then yesterday I was glued to the television for hours on end. And there were times where, especially when he was on cross examination, and they were asking him about the financial crimes, and they asked him specifically, "Did you know this family?" He's like, "Yeah, I thought a lot of this family. I really loved this particular guy," and then went on into that answer and then was kind of like, but I never really had a conversation with him. I'm like, wait a minute, but you just said that you really love the guy. How do you not know him and love him all in the same breath? I've had this thought uh, today, this week for some reason or another, just because of news, I suppose. There, You have to remind yourself that there are still more good people in the world than there are bad. 
And if you, if you watch the news and listen to the news, you would think exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. You would think that everybody is on the take and everybody is. Uh, and there may be a, a, a heightened um, selfishness in society today. I, I don't think I would deny that. But there are still more good people in the world than there are bad. But by listening to the news, uh, uh, road rage shootings like this morning and mm. uh, this happened and then that happened and then so on and so forth and guns and wars and violence and possible World War Three ramifications and all that. And you just, you just think to yourself, God, is everybody, is, is everybody a crooked at some point or another, and I still think there's more good people in the world than there are bad. I'm glad you said that. Said one of the goodest people I know. Exactly. Friday in the Ty Boyd studio. I just appreciate waking up. <laughs> Period. I could be with anybody. <laughs> Well, I don't mean physically. I know. I was about to say, I, I think your wife might have something to say yeah, about that. No, I, <laughs> I just like waking up with anybody. <laughs> That's the Charlotte's most beloved John Hancock with us on a Friday. A lot going on this week. It's one of those weeks you get the end, you go, wow. Wow. Deep breath. We've been all over the place this week. And we love ending it with you. We No other way that we'd like to end our week than with you, John. Well, I kept on... Listening to Bill Graham, thinking to myself, you know, I ought to just call in sick. Because he, he, he was, I mean, that's perfect timing. Because there's a lot of people watching that trial. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the, the trial that is similar in, uh, like, the national fascination to the OJ trial. I mean, they're obviously very different types of of cases. But people are, 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 are just captivated in the same kind of way. And, less, and especially in the Carolinas, talking about the Murdoch trial. Um, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true in Colorado or not, but uh, but in the Carolinas, it's it's quite compelling. Mm. I just got an email from a frequent listener, Kevin. He says, uh, great radio from which Jason to the trial discussion this morning. Funny to serious. You all handle it so well. Aww. I think they're on to us, Beth. I think they said they see what we're trying to do here. Yeah, they see the plan that we had all along. I missed the which Jason part. Uh, there's two Jasons that are involved in this radio station that, that immediately came to mind. Well, uh, Jason Jason Lewis was part of our. And he's talking about our contest. We um, we gave away Jason Aldean tickets this week. Oh, okay. And uh, what we have is now tradition on our almost one year old show. Whenever we have concert tickets or any kind of tickets to see somebody. We, we take their first name. Like, for example, we've done that with John Mellencamp, and we've done it now with Jason Aldean and Dave, uh, Matthews. Dave Matthews. So it becomes Name That Jason. So if you want the Jason Aldean tickets, then we have all these clips from other Jasons, and you have to, it's like Name That Tune, but it's Name That Jason. And so uh, it becomes, and, and, and Jason can mean, you know, Jason Priestley or, or Jason Bateman, but also can mean Jason Lewis. Jason uh, Mraz. I didn't do Jason first, but I could have. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, that was the best one. Beth Beth came out of uh, kind of left field with that one, and I was well, like, that, that's still. I can't wait till Rhiannon comes to town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We were saying yesterday, Guns N' Roses is coming. Yeah. Name, name that Axel. Name that flower. <laughs> yes. But is it the original members of 
Guns and Roses? We were talking about this a few days ago. I mean, obviously, it's it's Axl Rose. In Slash. I, in Slash. It's not Duff McKagan, right? It's not the... Yeah. And, and Izzy was the other one? Yeah. Yeah. Is he straddling the thing? Yeah, that's there? right. The, the rhythm guitarist. Yeah. It's not but him the either. two mains are are there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can't you can't really do. They tried to do Guns N' Roses with. Uh, you can't do it without Axel. No. But but or Slash really. I I agree. Like it's like doing. I love Van Halen, but it's kind of hard to do Van Halen without Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sunday, part of your big weekend, Tower of Power uh, is uh, at uh, Night Theater. Um. I just played There's some probably Tower of Power. no original members of Tower of Power except the horn section. What is the coincidence here? I just played a bumper coming back that I haven't played in probably five years, and it has Tower of Power in it. That's Tower of Power. Is that right? From Huey Lewis in the News, 1988, their album called Small World. And, and the, the rhythm of the, the uh, trumpet section, the horn section on their, that album was Tower of Power. Their horn section is unbelievable. I'm with you. I cannot believe that is the weirdest coincidence in the history of the show. Synergy, my friend. I can't like, believe I just used that word. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you got to finish it. Say <laughs> synergy like you've never seen before. Like you've never seen before. <laughs> anyway, uh, we have big weekend coming up. Speaking of things happening this weekend. Not that big. No. Well, no, I don't know. The, the Hornets are back in action again. Uh, how long have they been off for the All-Star weekend? Two months? I was going to say, some people may say they've been off since November, but... Uh, well, I, I think they've been off uh, pretty much all year long from what I've seen of their record. I, I said that, and Bernie did not even flinch. <laughs> He's on the phone. That's oh, that's why. why. That's, that's why. why. That's why. Okay. That's why I said burn. Yes. I did it for Bernie. Why? Is he like an undying Hornets fan? He's mad. I mean, that... I'm a big Hornets fan, but I'm not quite sure how they got to where they are right now. Because two years ago or a year and a half ago, uh, they were all getting together at Borrego's backyard um, just because the team was so close. I think a lot of people would say it had something to do with a guy named Miles, but... Well, no, it, it's a, that's exactly right. Yeah. And now he's coming back possibly in March. Um, and how do you think that'll be received? Big Weekend, presented by Watson Insurance. There's some friends that I know Living in this town And I've come far to see them Gonna drag them down Yeah, big weekend. 
Well, you got the Charlotte Home and Remodeling Show at the Park Expo and uh, Conference Center all weekend long. And uh, speaking of all weekend long, Craig Ferguson will be at the uh, Comedy Zone. Charlotte FC's uh, home opening match at Bank of America Stadium uh, tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. And the Hornets are back in town at the Spectrum Center against Miami uh, tomorrow at, uh, I don't know, 7 p.m. I think is what that is. Uh, Run Gin Run 5K and Festival at Symphony Park. More of that in just a second. Gregory Porter's at Belk Theater, so uh, that's a Grammy Award-winning jazz guy. Tower of Power at uh, Night Theater on Sunday. And Kay Michelle, R&B stuff at the Fillmore on Sunday at 8 p.m. I can work, I can travel, sleep anywhere, cross every border with nothing to declare. You can look back, but it's best not to stare. There you go. Boom. Shakalaka. Y'all. Big weekend presented by Watson Insurance Agency, protecting what's important since 1934. Talked about the 11th annual Run Gin Run 5K uh, Festival, which is raising money for breast cancer patients. And it'll get kicked off tomorrow at uh, Symphony Park. Molly Grantham is going to emcee the thing. And uh, Eric Thomas. Uh, former meteorologist at Channel Three showing up for that oh, uh, as well. That's so, awesome. Uh, they've uh, that's it's, it's quite an organization. They've uh, supported 298 breast cancer patients and given out about 189 thousand dollars in grants. So it's a big deal. There'll be a lot of people down there tomorrow. Yeah, what a uh, great cause. What yeah. a great weekend to to be out and about for something like that as well. Yeah, was yesterday. Just unbelievable. Yes. I mean, drove around with my windows down, my sunroof open. I was thinking, how is this February? One of my classmates from Estes Park uh, uh, put up the the weather picture, and it said minus 8 degrees. And I put up uh, when we were at like 79 or something yeah. like that. Uh, and I said, yeah, brutal down here, too. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina yesterday. Yeah, that's for no, sure. When it's eight degrees below zero, and the thing is, you don't forget about it in uh, in, in Colorado is the wind. Mm. So Charlotte had a, a new morning low record temperature yesterday, sixty six. Previous record was fifty nine. Uh, new daily record temperature, eighty degrees. Seventy nine was the record, and uh, Charlotte has a new monthly record low temperature now, sixty six. This, according to our, our friend Brad Panovich, says this is the warmest uh, in the month of February, 145 years of record keeping we're talking oh, about. Oh, wow. Here. See, we um, go back to that. Um, oh, now I forgot the, the singer again, that, that song, the 90s song. It felt like springtime on this February morning. What was the? Uh, <laughs> so, Sophie B. Hawkins. Sophie B. Hawkins. Or, or, or her other hit. Damn, it was, it was warm yesterday. <laughs> uh, I think I read this on Facebook this week, but my condolences to Brad Panovich. I believe his mother passed away this week. Oh, hmm. I did not see that. I'm never on Facebook anymore because they're trying to charge me. He's such a good guy. I know he's such Are you an paying guy. for the blue check mark? No. I'm not no. paying either thing. Well, Facebook, I've said this, and I, I hope somebody from Facebook is listening. Facebook 
got rid of they just my 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 page just went away just it just went away on its own about a year ago and I haven't been able to get it back it was my just Beth Troutman page I had like 20,000 followers and all of the posts and pictures and videos everything I've posted over the last decade everything just disappeared without a warning without anything it's just gone so I just I, I I've boycotted Facebook you as don't, a, as a you result. don't specialize in the visual anymore Beth I don't. This is radio. I know, exactly. <laughs> Facebook is getting uh, more ads than radio. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, you go through that thing and it's, God, it's, Well, uh, Facebook was so cool when it first came out um, because you could run into people you hadn't seen or, or known about for years. Decades. Yeah, see, that scared me. I didn't think it was cool. I thought like, ah! What do I do? Oh, I, I, I loved it. Every now and then, somebody would that I graduated with or something like that, a small town boy. Yeah. But you'd run into somebody and then at least know, you know, oh my God, they're living in South Dakota now or something like that. But it's become so much what it wasn't. It still does happen every once in a while. Like for people who've been on Facebook for 10 years, like we all have, right? Or most of us who didn't get our account stolen and thrown into the ether. Where is it? But. Every once in a while, there'll be somebody who's been a social media holdout that jumps on, and you're like, whoa, I wonder whatever happened to them. Because when first when Facebook first started, it was like this onslaught of all of a sudden you found out what your what your classmate from from uh, fifth grade, you know, all those years ago was doing. Somebody you went to college with yeah. or something like but that. But in that case, it was all at once. And now, you know, every once in a while, there's a straggler who, who jumps on, and you're like, oh. But... It's dwindling, even even that happening. Well, and I've got like 5,000 friends, which is your limit, because I never opened a fan page. Um, and um, and I know uh, probably 150 of them. <laughs> so I have thought about going through my Facebook page and and, uh, and dropping everybody that I don't know. But th- that seems like kind of a slap in the face for all the people who have been so good to me over the years. So I, I think I'll just leave it alone. But Well, uh, it's one of the reasons why you are a Hall of Famer is even though you don't technically know uh, all 5,000 of them, they feel like they know you because of what you did on the air. Because if you do it well, right, that's the way they feel. After going through uh, the hospital stay a couple of years ago, I had so much support through Facebook. And, you know, my mom, my my mom. My wife would uh, put up uh, uh, update reports, mm-hmm. and we would get six and eight, nine hundred responses. Or, uh, um, I, I was telling a guy earlier today, I don't know how I would have gotten through all of that if it hadn't been for all the support I got. So uh, I owe those people. WBT. I think that I probably wrongly took from clients and people that trusted me more as much money before that boat wreck as after all right and it's i'm just trying much. i'm just trying to get through this so we don't get bogged down like we did yesterday all right uh, i understand all right so you wouldn't you wouldn't agree with me that in 2019 alone you stole about 3.7 million dollars no I, th- I think that's correct all right and you would would you agree with me though that that figure in 2019 was generally higher than any other year that you've been stealing since 2011. In any year, sure, I'd agree with that. Okay. I thought you were talking about overall, the whole, you know, the whole cycle. But right. yeah, I, I, I would agree that in 2019, I stole more money than any other year. All right, you're hearing uh, the, the 
testimony that has resumed in Walterboro, South Carolina. Alec Murdoch is back on the stand, and as Bill Graham was telling us, uh, expected to be there for uh, a good while longer today, but uh, they, they stopped it. Uh, and, and took a break for the night and now are back at it. So no doubt you'll be hearing uh, more highlights and analysis of this as it's now uh, happening again in real time and uh, coverage of that throughout the day right here on, on WBT. He said he spent, uh, he said he took all that money because uh, he spent all of it on pills. $3.7 million on pills. Yeah, someone I saw on social media, and, you know, I didn't do the math to figure this out because that is just not how my brain works, but someone on social media said that they tried to work out the math on how much that would be even for um, a, a really uh, intense Completely addict. Completely out-of-control addict, That yeah. it was like a it was like 190 years' worth of, uh, of pills or something like that if you did, if you broke down the math. Yeah, which, which, which in essence kind of comes down to he's, he's trying to justify his addiction for his actions and that's a lie too one other thing i want to hit here uh, i'm surprised so hancock always sends us a list of things he's been uh thinking about talking about and we we compare notes after uh, the, the shows that we do in here because friday the, the nine o'clock hour on friday is kind of our you know it's our it's our last hour of the week and it's kind of the catch-all and it's kind of uh, uh a lot of times it's uh sort of what happened this past week sometimes it's stories that uh we didn't get to and we didn't get to this one and i want to mention it and it's actually perfect to have john in here but i know you heard about this Almost 60 years since the first meeting, it appears that the Rolling Stones and the two surviving Beatles are going to collaborate on a new Stones album. Did you hear about this? No. Yeah, a variety uh, hears from multiple sources that Paul McCartney has recorded bass parts for a forthcoming Stones project being helmed by uh, former uh, 2021, or not former, he was in 2021, Grammy Producer of the Year Andrew Watt. And Ringo is going to play on the yet-to-be-announced album as well. And recording sessions have already happened. Uh, they don't know what's going to make the final cut yet, but the album is nearing the mixing stage. So um, sometime soon we're going to hear a collaboration with the remaining Beatles and the, and the Stones. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Is that something that you'd buy sight unseen or sound unheard? Well, no, because I can't hear it anymore. Um, well, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but but uh, I'd be fascinated by it. Um, you'd watch that video. I saw a picture of Paul McCartney uh, sitting on somebody's lap this last week and thought to myself, good Lord, look at him. I mean, he's still a baby-faced. Uh, yeah. Uh, and money helps, and uh, and, and I'd... I'd he doesn't look like he's had uh, plastic no, surgery, he but uh, he could afford the best anyway. So, uh. And then <laughs> compensating in the other direction is Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the two of them standing beside each other, they'll even out, right? That's what I mean. It'll it's even a, out. It's a wash. <laughs> I've got a friend who uh, has had a bout with cancer, and it's gone on and on and on and on and on. And he said he had a bet with one of his friends that if uh, Keith Richard outlived him... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, uh, I thought that was one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in my life because Keith was supposed to be dead 42 years ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, I mean, I was thinking about this and, and how all these years later, how relevant they all are. Yes. I mean, Mick, Mick Jagger comes to town and he does that thing at the Thirsty Beaver a few years ago and it's just it takes the Internet by storm. Oh, and then, it still does. You know, I, I will say this. You know, I, I worked with Al Gardner for a stretch here when he was the morning man. And, and one of the things I learned from Al, I, I always knew the Beatles were a big deal. I always knew where they fell into the landscape of 
of uh, of music. But Al is a not only he's a Beatles fan, and then he takes it to another degree with Paul McCartney. And I learned some things from Al about the nuances of the mu- musician that Paul McCartney is, and the Beatles were for that matter. But uh, when I worked with him, he he showed me some things and made me listen to things and tracks and isolate it. And you know, the fact that uh, that he's still out there making relevant music. I know it's not necessarily like hit music. But when you listen to his albums that he puts out, now when I hear them, I hear all the layers that Al sort of the old the old line to. of "Do you know? Did you know Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings?" <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> right. Um, and, and 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 the way you just phrased that remark there, um, I mean, I was ten or eleven years old when they first came in. Uh, my girlfriend then had uh, Beatle cards and Beatle pictures all over her wall, and of her, uh, and it was unbelievable. Um, so I know how big Sinatra was when he first came on the scene and uh, Elvis and because I can remember the scene of uh, uh, of the Beatles. Um, I went to a Hard Day's Night, the movie, and you couldn't and all they did was scream through it. Girls just screaming to it. And then I went and saw the Beatles at Red Rocks in 64. You saw them at Red Rocks? But you never heard anything because it was uh, uh, and it screaming. wasn't sold out. Hmm. Yeah, I, I lucked out. My neighbors uh, uh, were going, <gasps> and their daughter got sick, and they called my mom at that day and said, hey, we're going to see this uh, Beatle group this up British at Red Dr- Rocks, uh, and we'd, we'd be happy to take David, my real name, um, and uh, uh, would, would you would you be okay with that? And they said, yeah. So every time I go to Red Rocks with the Abbots or somebody like that, now I look up, and that's that one section where I know we were sitting and think about... Uh, Seeing the Beatles. Seeing the Beatles. It was the first, yeah. first concert I ever went to. See, all wow. Y- all y'all think I was going to end with some Rolling Stones or some Beatles, right? But I'm going back to that other group that Hancock brought up. The Horn people. We're going to end with the Tower of Power <laughs> on, a, on a known but not huge hit by Huey Lewis in the News from 1988, Because I Can. Yes, you can. Hancock, good to see you. Too bad Huey must screw us up this Tower of Power song. You know? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's fighting words right there. Y'all have a great weekend. See you next week.